Hey, welcome to BTS Podcast. This is your host, Lene Cook. Today on BTS Podcast, I have VP of Almex, Kadar Tillich, on. Um, a little bit of information up front Almex is a cast house equipment supplier, specifically for companies in the, in the aluminum supply chain. Um, which means that they make machines that companies who deal with aluminum use to be able to make safe and effective landing gear and a wide variety of other inanimate objects that we engage with regularly. Um, This is super fascinating to me because aluminum is something that's like an industry that we, I mean, I would venture to say all of us engage with stuff made out of aluminum every day. Um, and I can guarantee you that very few, if any of us have ever considered like where aluminum comes from, how it gets from, you know, wherever that is to us in hand. And like, that's also just the amount of companies and people involved in that process is pretty amazing and broad and sort of invisible to us. So, um, I, I mean, I personally learned a lot about this like very specific yet broad industry during our conversation. Um, and one thing that I love is that Kadar and I also talk about his thoughts and feelings about going into the aluminum business, which is a family business for him. Um, while a lot of our friends were going into seemingly more fun and exciting industries, and sort of just how he decided that going into the family business um, was the right move for him and how he's found aluminum to be interesting and actually like much more appealing than I think a lot of us who look for jobs that you know seem trendy or whatever um, would assume it would be. So um, that is one of my favorite parts of this conversation that has you know obviously nothing to do specifically with aluminum but I think it does help provide framework around, you know, just different career decisions and um, sort of uh, dispel some of the stresses and fears that we all have when we're making career decisions. Anyways, um, that kind of leads me into elaborating a little bit more on the driving force behind uh, BTS podcast and why I started this, uh, because I don't know if I've ever fully really gotten into it. Um, I started this podcast because I really believe it's important for people to understand more about the world we live in, both in terms of people who work behind the scenes to create things and services that we engage with on a regular basis, and have a better understanding about where the physical, non-living things that we engage with come from and how they got to us. One thing I've observed over the years from having close relationships with people across generations and backgrounds is that the further we get away from the genesis and origin of something, the less we understand about it. One thing that comes to mind, um, just consider how much you or your parents know about how a computer physically works um, or even how a website is built. So chances are, if you're over the age of 30, you're super familiar with the idea of replacing a hard drive and you probably know, well, I mean, not over the age of 30, like 30 until, you know, 200 years old. But I imagine if you're between like 28 or 29 and then like 37 to 40, you probably remember the days where you would replace your own hard drive and maybe you even know a thing or two about a motherboard or replacing memory or whatever, which is not something the average person knows how to do that in like today's time frame. Um, especially like younger millennials and centennials 
aren't as familiar. Um, and you probably also know some basic HTML because you were engaging with computers and the internet at a time when they were not quite as like fully baked as they are now. So think about that, but then think about how much more your grandparents, who probably don't know that much about computers or HTML, probably know about gardening than you do. And that's because they were closer to a time when it was a lot more common for people to grow food in their yards, have fresh fruits and vegetables, depending on season alone, um, like at a time when they probably also had friends that were personally farmers themselves, like as a profession. Uh, most people in urban and suburban areas today know very little about farming because we're pretty far removed from all of the efforts that go into getting produce into stores where we see it and touch it and then buy it. So anything that requires manufacturing, um, and in this specific case we're talking about aluminum, uh, anything that requires manufacturing is super hidden from us, um, from the raw materials in often rural and international locations um, that those are like mined for in, to like the warehouses that they disappear into to then be turned into the places, or I mean things, I guess. So they disappear into these places and then turn into things that we engage with. So all of that is really fascinating to me because these are all things that we deal with on a regular basis and we don't know where the physical good came from and we don't really know about the people who make them and like what companies these are even. So I guess my own perpetual curiosity makes me just wonder what's involved in that entire process uh, in, bringing in like bringing to life the physical goods we buy and then obviously the people and industries involved. Um, and in getting to know that stuff, that's where we really get to learn about people's different priorities and the obstacles that they run into and efficiencies that maybe from the outside, we're wondering why things are a certain way. Um, and maybe these people are frustrated with it too. And we don't know that. So we just assume that they think it's fine. Or maybe there's a reason things are the way they are. It just really depends. So before I get any deeper and before we start the conversation with Kadar, um, I just wanted to give a quick shout to a few of my favorite services. Um, these are all services that I use and recommend because they consistently make my life better. And by you using my promo codes um, on any of them that sound helpful or useful to you, um, you save money and then also I save money off my next booking which um, and those small things like that just really help me fund this podcast because these are all things that I use on a super regular basis. One of them is Instacart. So Instacart is my favorite grocery delivery service and I know that might sound just very uh, wild and lavish to some people but um, I mean so everybody's like busy which by the way I have a lot of thoughts on that um, align and with Debbie Millman and I think she says it best um, in the interview that she did on the Clever podcast which I highly recommend you check out as well as Debbie Millman's podcast um, just kind of around the way we prioritize stuff and like yeah we're all busy but if something's important to us um, we can make time for it. Uh, this podcast is important to me and one of the ways I can make time for this podcast both just in terms of actual time but then also my own energy um, is by having my groceries delivered. I don't have a car. Um, I live in a downtown area where there are not necessarily grocery stores nearby. Um, and then even sometimes when I'm traveling, if I'm staying somewhere for a week or two, it just 
it saves me like a solid at least hour to two hours of my time and then the energy if I get my groceries delivered. So I use Instacart um, and I like them a lot because I also personally prefer to have groceries delivered from local co-ops and smaller grocery stores versus um, like Whole Foods just because they're owned by Amazon and I want to support like smaller business owners. Um, and you can get booze delivered as long as you have your ID that shows you're over 21 when they get there. So they're effective, their customer support is great. Um, you can even be specific, like I get super specific and I'll be like, hey, I want five limes. Um, and I'll put a little note and go, but if the limes look dry, don't worry about it, please don't get them, refund that part. Um, and they do a typically great job as if with anything, sometimes, you know, I may have gotten something I didn't ask for, maybe something was out, that happens even if I go grocery shopping myself. Um, so if you, if it sounds like that would make your life better, check them out. Use promo code LCOOK, that's L-C-O-O-K-5142. Not the sexiest of promo codes, but I've already put it out on the internet, which means that if I ask them for a different one, this one won't work, and it's a whole snafu. So that is LCOOK5142, please use that. Uh, one of the other services that I love and use regularly is called Hotel Tonight. Hotel Tonight is excellent for last minute and even uh, planned in advanced hotel bookings. They've expanded their days so that you can book, I think even as far out as 30 days now. The hotels in there are beautiful and they have really great descriptions. They also have a lovely reward system um, where you get different discounts and stuff the more you book your hotels through them. It is truly my preferred way to book hotels. Their app is super easy to use. Um, and like I said, the hotels on there are quality. Use lcook61 at checkout to save on your first uh, booking with them. Thanks, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Hey, and welcome to BTS Podcast. I am super excited to have on an old friend today, Kadar Tillich. Kadar is the, Kadar, are you the CEO? What's vice your title? President. Kadar is the vice president of Almex and he is going to explain what they do exactly because my description I don't think will do it justice. Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm very excited to be here. Um, I am the vice president. Thank you for getting that one down. <laughs> and uh, Almex USA is a cast house equipment supplier. So we'll get into that I hope a little bit later on but it's a convoluted sort of ecosystem in aluminum uh, within the aluminum industry and we are a equipment supplier uh, to that whole cycle. Okay, so then maybe I guess a good jumping off point would be to explain what that cycle is because uh, nobody knows. Nobody knows. Outside Alumin of the aluminum industry. That's very fair <laughs> to say. Aluminum industry is a enormous, enormous place. Um, and uh, as, as a millennial born, you know, sort of recently, it's, <laughs> it's always been interesting because when I joined the industry, uh, our, our company is a family business. So when I joined the industry, I always thought of aluminum as being sort of a business to business. It's not a, it's not a tech job. It's not a sexy, shiny job or anything like that. So I always had this sort of thing in the back of my mind. Like, am I doing what my generation should be doing? Am I in the right sort of um, workplace? But actually, I, as I found out, it's, it's very much involved in what we do on a daily basis. Um, the, when we were talking about the podcast, you told me earlier, farm to table sort of thing. Like, what's mm -hmm. the, how does aluminum get from wherever it comes from to however it landed up in literally this table that parts of it are made of aluminum? And uh, so that's hopefully what uh, I achieve by the end of this podcast and kind of explaining a little bit more of. Yeah. So I guess to start off, um, 
Can you explain where aluminum comes from? Aluminum comes from the ground. Right. It is, it is mined <laughs> by huge, huge mining companies that are multinational conglomerates. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're not actually mining for aluminum. Aluminum is a product, um, decades, uh, generations old process. It's an electrolytic reduction process by which bauxite is converted to alumina, and then alumina is converted to aluminum. So the aluminum mines that you see, although they're intended to make aluminum, you're really mining bauxite out of the ground, which is an ore. And so where is there like a central location where that's mostly done, or is that kind of all around the world? It's done around the world, but um, it's fair to say that it's a very energy-intensive process. So although it used to be done more or less everywhere, uh, because of the energy costs of electricity, it's pretty much centered around cheap sources of hydropower. Uh, so you'll find a lot of hydropower in um, the Scandinavian countries. There's okay. a lot of uh, aluminum smelting that happens up there. In Canada, a lot of hydropower. In China, there's quite a bit of aluminum smelting and reduction. We call that primary aluminum. So primary aluminum production converts bauxite to aluminum. Okay. And then you can make other things out of it. And then there's uh, Middle East is the other large player. But it's really it's across the board. Russia, Brazil, Australia is big in production. Um, but there's statistics. I mean, it, it gets made in these kind of key places mm-hmm. and then shipped in its primary form to everywhere in the world. Okay. And then it's taken from those places, and then it gets shipped. It's taken from those places. It, it looks <laughs> like little bricks, you can call it. Oh, okay. So it, it, gets, uh, it gets converted from these ores okay. to aluminum, and then they pour them. It's molten aluminum at that point. They pour them into these little bricks or very large bricks, mm-hmm. and then they ship them. And that's product gets remelted into some other application. Okay. And so when it gets remelted, is that around the time that what your company makes comes into play? It is close. Okay. It is close. So there are, aluminum is, uh, it's very versatile. As, okay. a, as a person in the aluminum industry, we love to talk about how versatile it can be. Um, so What's it, your like elevator pitch for aluminum? Like, what do you mean? Like, because you say you like to talk about how versatile it can be. So yeah. then what do you, like, what are your go-to examples of like from this to this? So if I'm standing in like an elevator with a bunch of steel guys, how do I compete? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, it's the, it's the strength to weight ratio. So aluminum, that's a term that's usually used in the aerospace industry, mm-hmm. which means that aluminum has properties where you look at the strength of that material mm-hmm. and then you look at the weight of that material. It can beat steel even in some cases. So what that means is it's great for automobiles, it's great for aerospace, mm-hmm. uh, it's even great for um, food packaging, like your regular old aluminum foil, or right. you know, the to-go boxes, those types of things. You know, in preparing for this, it aluminum foil completely slipped my mind. Yeah. Like it didn't even, it, it's the most obvious one, because not only is the name in it, but it's like a household product. I was literally thinking through like electronics mostly, and then aerospace stuff, because I when I Googled the company, what came up was like... Uh, like provider, I think it says like aerospace manufacturers and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then when I went to like a NASA launch a few months ago, and they talked about the just the different aluminum that's used um, for yeah that. that there's I mean the varieties <laughs> of aluminum. There's hundreds and hundreds of different um, alloys we call them, or you mm-hmm. could consider them flavors. Okay. Uh, and that changes the type of aluminum and its properties. So aluminum foil. Uh, it has to be malleable. It mm-hmm. has to be ductile, right? Mm-hmm. It shouldn't be um, terribly strong, really. We, have, we want to rip it. <laughs> <laughs> right, uh, yeah. Versus like the landing gear in your Boeing 737 plane, it's going to be landed upon uh, right. <laughs> hundreds and hundreds of thousands of times, and yeah. it should be very strong. 
Yeah. So there's different properties and how you make that aluminum from in its molten stage. Um, that's what really determines the properties. And that's, you're right, that's where we fit into this sort of marketplace mm -hmm. is in the aerospace and the automobile world. Um, so we don't focus so much on the common alloys, which mm -hmm. would be like extrusions and window frames or door frames mm -hmm. or foil for that matter, um, or even just small like cast parts that you may find in electronics where mm -hmm. you're more, more focused on the strong stuff that can replace other materials and has really specific properties, really special, we call it hard to cast materials. Which now makes a lot of sense knowing because, um, so for listeners for background context, Kadar and I have known each other for probably like 10 years, I think. Yeah. Uh, and when he explained what Almex did to me then, it was that uh, I think that one of the things is that you make an x-ray machine for aluminum billets. So now knowing that your main like consumer is aerospace and automotive, mm -hmm it makes a lot more sense as to like why that's so important because yeah. those are like things that cannot mess up. They cannot mess up. <laughs> high tech, high quality, and the aluminum has to be really thoroughly um, checked. And one of, one of our colleagues has a great saying, which I love. It's that in the aerospace industry, five grams of aluminum travels with 500 grams of paper, which means that there are reports on reports and analytics mm. and quality certificates and high, high levels of traceability. And, you know, mm -hmm. it's not exactly five to 500. Right. But the point is, it, it travels with a lot of reporting and documentation right. and analytical testing to make sure that that piece is, you know, sound enough to be in your wing of your plane. That's right. super important. Yeah. I mean, yes. So thank yeah. you. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. Interesting. So then maybe run us through a little bit the different, because if you, you make aluminum cast house equipment, mm -hmm. what does that equipment, equipment include? Like it includes, um, well, it includes everything that would be in a foundry. So we, so a foundry I... is not helpful. <laughs> that is also a trade term. It is a factory okay. that takes primary aluminum, uh -huh. which will be, uh, these large or small bricks. We okay. call them sows or a cute term is piglets. We call them little pigs. I was wondering if it was sows like similar to like the pig version or if it was like in like a uh, advertising world, a sow typically means like a scope of work. And oh, so, definitely not scope of work. Yeah, no. okay. This makes more sense. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, sow is on. like an open poured <laughs> piece of uh, aluminum, solid aluminum. Okay. Um, so we take this material that comes from primary aluminum cast houses mm -hmm. and uh, we alloy it with different materials, manganese, magnesium, copper, mm -hmm. all different types of things, zinc, zirconium. And you, how you create that composition, that chemical composition, it determines the finished properties of the product. So aluminum is cast traditionally in these type scales of factories. Okay. Um, something ranging from 10 tons to 100 tons at a time, metric tons at a time. Wow. So you have these very large melting furnaces. Mm -hmm. Then you have uh, transfer equipment, purification equipment, filtration equipment. And you guys make that equipment? We make all of that equipment, right. That's insane. And then we manufacture the casting machine itself and the molds. Okay. So you can have a f the products of our machine, I can say, are round, semi-finished okay. products or square semi-finished products. Okay. And then we get into, then we get into our customers' customers. So you're, you're my customer and I supply mm -hmm. you with cast house equipment. And I show you how to run it. I show you how to operate it. I show you even how to sell your product, what technical parameters mm. you should sell your product on. Mm -hmm. And then you sell your product to another fabricator. And mm -hmm. that company may be an extrusion company. It could be a rolling company. It could be a forging company. Mm -hmm. And depending on what kind of shapes and products you make, 
that customer will use your billet or slab, which is the round or the square, mm -hmm. uh, to do something else with. So we supply a company that makes semi-finished products mm -hmm. of high quality, and then, then the aluminum industry life cycle really opens up because so far we've got from a primary smelter, you know, through some maybe trading companies or something, right. over to a cast house. And we, okay. let's call that the secondary cast house. So the primary cast house is related to mining and production. The second one makes billets or slabs. Okay. And then our customers get to go into these sort of open downstream routes. So the first one would be extrusion, where you're, uh, you're familiar with how you make spaghetti out of like a big spaghetti press. <laughs> yes. So it's the, that's the very <laughs> layman's way of explaining extrusion, where you have okay. a die or you have a shape. Uh -huh. In this case, just little round spaghetti holes, right? Right. And you're pushing a solid through that at relative pressure, whatever you want and to I say. And I assume a high temperature, or is and it And a high not? temperature, Okay. Yeah. So you take a, a cylinder, let's um, just a big aluminum chunk, mm -hmm. and you heat it up, and then you squeeze it through a How huge hot? hydraulic... What does heat mean in this situation? Uh, not melting, but like okay. many hundreds of degrees. Okay. <laughs> uh, and then you push it through an extrusion press, uh -huh. and you have a profile at the end. Okay. So if right now, if anyone's sitting in the room, look at your window frame or your door frame, and if it's made of metal, that is probably an aluminum extrusion. Mm. Um, so you can make uh, long, thin profiles, or you can cut it up, or whatever mm -hmm. it is. So you can squeeze it, let's call that. Right. Uh, you can roll it. Uh -huh. So now we're back in the kitchen. Take your rolling pin. Okay. Take up that rectangular piece of aluminum, heat it up really hot, and then send it through a rolling machine. Right. Which is, you know, like a mile long. It's a very large factory that does this. That was what I was yeah, thinking yeah. Huge, about. Huge, huge. Like... Under very, very high pressures okay. and, and large capital investments types of factories. Uh, but then you can roll it. Mm -hmm. You can roll it a little bit, and it'll come out, you know, thick plate, mm -hmm. which then you can cut and make machined parts out of. Or you can keep rolling and rolling and rolling and rolling, and you get foil. Wow. So you actually keep rolling something down that was maybe uh, a couple feet thick. Uh-huh. And as you keep rolling it, it keeps getting longer and longer and longer. And right. then you come out with foil at the other end of that. That's so interesting. And that's, you know, microns thick. It's very, very thin yeah. material. And, like, thin... Thin enough to be useful, but then not so thick it'll cut you, which is, like, yeah, I imagine <laughs> a big thing in the aluminum foil world of, like, we need it to be sturdy, but let's not get metal paper cut. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. That's so interesting. And so then, so you were mentioning that then you also supply, um, you help, like, the consumer, your consumer's consumer. So then is that when... Uh, the so-called x-ray machine comes into play or are those for your consumers? Like I assume it's they buy um, like the equipment from you but then before they sell it they want to be able to prove that there's no flaws in it. So who mm -hmm. who's the customer for those? The, our customer, each stage of this all, has their own version of it. So we actually make Got ultrasonic okay. but you can also do different forms of uh, quality testing. Okay. So you would use an ultrasonic machine to make sure there's no um, like really tiny holes inside the solidified aluminum. Right. Right. That hole is just a void. Mm -hmm. So it could become a weak spot in the aluminum. Right. Or there's no particles or defects um, okay. inside the metal. So you can, you have to do that actually at every stage. Mm -hmm. So our billets or slabs would be ultrasonically tested. There's a lot of uh, metallurgy that's involved. Mm -hmm. So the solidification characteristics of the aluminum are also really important. If you had a let's call it a bucket of molten aluminum in your hand, uh -huh. and you poured it somewhere, and you just let it solidify, that aluminum would be terrible. It would have very poor qualities. <laughs> it would be metallurgically not sound. It would probably mm -hmm. be full of voids and holes and little fragments of things. Um, but the most important thing, it, was be, it wouldn't have the metallurgical structure 
that your landing gear would have, for example. Right. So how you solidify aluminum is really important. Um, and that's where the material science really comes into the picture. Mm-hmm. So metallurgy and process technology and things like that. Okay. But uh, to answer your question, the, the sonic inspection is done at all these stages. Okay. So you do it, you ultrasonic inspect something that is a builder slab. Mm-hmm. Then in a different process, you have to keep doing your quality inspections at every stream, uh, every step of this sort of large Got processing it. stream. How was the learning curve on this stuff? Slow and long and hard, <laughs> but it was, it was, it's enjoyable. Right. Um, so a little bit more background, I guess. Almix is also a family-owned business. Uh-huh. So my father started this company because he was a cast house operator, okay. which means that he was working for a company and making molten aluminum every day. Uh-huh. And he started realizing that the equipment's just bad. Like right. It's not very well made. It's uh, hard to use. It's hard to maintain. Uh-huh. So he started designing his own equipment on the side for his then employer. Interesting. And so he comes from Did a production background. Did he have a background? background? Okay, that was... Yeah. Okay. He came from a production background, and he was also their metallurgist and their quality engineer. Okay. So he sort of had this nice background to be able to say, I know exactly what it takes to make high-quality equipment. And where was he when he was doing this? He was here in Southern California. Okay. Yeah. He studied in India uh-huh. and then did his master's in uh, Kentucky. Oh, wow. And then when he moved to Los Angeles, uh-huh. uh, that's when he started the equipment side of the business. Okay. Very cool. Yeah. That's wild. But so, the learning curve was long. <laughs> so then how do you how do you innovate in this field, right? Because I assume that you're constantly... Uh, so like pause real quick uh Kadar's wife Seema is very kind and is delivering beverages to us because yeah, <laughs> I have like a little bit of a tickle in my throat and I think everyone could use a little bit of caffeine uh on this Sunday in the middle of the holidays because it's like mid-December right now um so obviously your dad saw a space for this and then afterwards just continued innovating over the years um how how is that now? Like how do you like what areas are you looking to innovate in? Does AI have a role to play in that? Like what types of I don't know, like what does your kind of like um five, ten year like plan sort of stuff look like? Yeah, um that's a good question. Aluminum is by very nature, very flexible in how it can be applied to different applications. Mm-hmm. So right now the whole thrust is making aluminum lighter, stronger, better, right? Mm-hmm. So that's a lot of material science, materials engineering. Very Kanye West. Very, yeah, lighter, stronger, better. <laughs> Death better, book. faster, what is it? Strong. Wow, we used to listen to this song all the time. Yeah, harder, faster. Harder, better, faster? Uh, I think so. Yeah. Harder, faster, stronger. Yeah, that yeah. sounds right. I don't know. <laughs> See, I'm in like an equipment business now, yeah. so. Yeah, <laughs> ours not teaching as much these days. No, but I still have everything, by the way. Good, I'm still happy to hear project. that. Yeah. I love that. Um, so right now everything is is kind of focused around making it um, have better applications. Okay. So for example, right now our current innovation is in designing systems which will include lithium. Okay. As a additive, you can say, or like an additional. What's, what's the benefit of that? Super light, like fifteen okay. percent weight savings. Okay. Um, which means fifteen percent better fuel economy if mm-hmm. you're an airline maker, or fifteen percent more people you can stick in the plane. Right. You can take more weight on. Um, so that's a big area of our innovation right now. Uh, so for background, lithium is very dangerous to handle, especially mm-hmm. in its molten stage. Okay. So there's a lot of safety things you have to watch for. It's also very hard to process. Mm-hmm. So you have to watch. You have to design equipment essentially from ground up in order to handle molten aluminum uh, 
products. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of advancement there. Mm -hmm. A lot of our customers are coming to us with questions about them wanting to develop an alloy uh, mm -hmm. or a flavor of aluminum, you can say, that is better for a specific application. Okay. So right now, there is a lot of aluminum that it's the same alloy you would find in an airplane, okay. but now it's being used in cars. Right. So Audi is a great example. Mercedes is a great example. Tesla is completely an aluminum um, platform. Really? Completely aluminum platform. I don't okay. even think there's, besides maybe like hardware, I don't think there's one steel structure in that car. Mm -hmm. And that goes for a lot of new manufacturers, mm -hmm. especially in the U.S. So a lot of our innovation right now is in designing equipment that is suited to handle those types of materials and, and the whole process. How do you how do you treat it? How do you purify it? How do you inspect it? Mm -hmm. And how do you manage it? How do you make sure that it's a quality product mm -hmm. every door or every bumper or every you know, window frame? Right. Yeah, that's amazing. And so then where do you go? Um, because I find like very specific markets like this really interesting. For example, there's a uh, annual international pest control convention in Seattle. That is amazing to me that like people come all from all around the world to learn about that specifically. Is there like an equivalent of that in the aluminum world where you can go at like go to resources or um, whatever it may be for like research and thought and like thought leadership and innovation and stuff to get inspiration? Because obviously, like what your dad thought of mm -hmm. wasn't being done at the time, I assume, or right, was it? Right. And so how do you, you know, get that kind of inspiration in this world? Um, or do you go to, like, other industries for that type of stuff? We, we get some inspiration from other metals industries. Mm -hmm. uh, but generally speaking, a lot of the application innovation has to be done just by customer demand. Okay. So a lot of the aerospace side came because we started working with different materials. Uh-huh. Um, and right now, I mean, not right now, but let's call it five, six years ago. Okay. The aluminum industry, admittedly, was a little bit scared because there was a lot of uh, carbon fiber materials coming into aerospace. Mm. And so there was this war, like, will composites materials start taking over? Will we be flying in plastic airplanes anytime soon? Right. Um, but things have started to settle down because there is an there's the right application for every material. Mm -hmm. And so you can't necessarily make, um, to go back to our example, landing gear out of composites. Right. It th There's different characteristics of that material that will never hold up. Right. Um, Cyclical loading, for example. Mm -hmm. um, but if you're trying to make a skin of a plane, then composites are great. That's what you want to be using there. Right. So there's a lot of advancement that has to happen in parallel industries, that's right. for sure. But the innovation side for aluminum, I think, is going to be driven predominantly by customer demands for quite some time. Yeah. Um, even down to, like, the aluminum can. The used beverage can industry is enormous, like, enormous. Um, but that's because aluminum is infinitely recyclable. So yeah. a lot of the innovation is in making sure that we're not losing a percent of aluminum to, you know, burning off into the atmosphere right. when we process that. So then do, do any of the like, equipment options that you guys offer have to do with, like, the form of aluminum when it comes back from being recycled, whatever that is? A huge part. Okay. A huge part of that, yeah, for sure. Because a majority of the aluminum industry is recycled material, uh -huh. which we're very proud of, to use more and more recycled material and totally. have a very, very sustainable um, footprint. Uh, we have to design all of our equipment knowing that the customers are going to want to absorb more recycled material. So that whatever it is that they purchase could also be used for recycled aluminum and not just exactly. like 
the new form. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah. The new, new form, <laughs> besides being new, it's also expensive, right? Right. If I can recycle and turn a whole bunch of used beverage cans into an aerospace component, uh, besides the obvious environmental benefits, mm -hmm. I'm going to have a huge margin that I can play with in my How business. How huge is that margin? Like, what is the difference um, in terms of, like, whether it's percentage difference or whatever, just ballpark for a company that is buying, like, fresh aluminum versus mm -hmm. recycled aluminum? In some cases, double. Wow. It can be pretty significant. So there's a lot of um, Then what's the benefit push. of buying the new stuff? Uh, it's it's like baking, right? So uh -huh. if you were baking something and you had, um, I mean, actually, baking is a bad example. Yeah, but I there's, was like, there's, you don't <laughs> do that with baking, Kadar. Yeah. You Try again. When was the last time you cookies. made a cookie? <laughs> <laughs> it's been a while. It's been a while. Um, but you can. It, the, the difference is how pure it is. Mm -hmm. So we talked about all these different alloys. They have very specific um, target ranges. Mm -hmm. So for this material, I need to be within so many percent and so many percent. So if I use too much scrap or recycled material, mm -hmm. I will I will not be within that range. So maybe I can use, depending on my finished product, mm -hmm. I can use maybe 60% scrap. But I have to know the chemistry of that scrap. Right. And then the rest I have to use pure. Right. So it's just um, making sure that you're balancing it out to make the finished product that you want. Some, some aluminum can be made 100% scrap. Mm -hmm. Just depends on the quality of your scrap. I assume not landing gear. Not landing gear. Good. Happy to hear it. Yeah. I'm not like a fearful flyer by any means, but that is like one thing that I think about often. Um, but I won't go into detail because I feel like a lot of people are scared of flying. Yeah. And, and my questions often upset people where they're yeah. like, and I would hate to like it's the holiday season. trigger anybody. <laughs> Everyone's going to get into a plane. Let them go home. Right. Exactly. I just feel like planes are the safest because they have to be because otherwise they wouldn't have any customers. Whereas like with cars, it's like... Cars feel much more dangerous to me. Yeah. Driving is terrifying these days. Yeah. yeah. There was, um, there's a really, do you ever listen to Econ Talk? Sometimes. Uh, he had on a guest talking about AI, and it was really interesting. And the guy made a really good example where he was just like, hundreds of people die in car accidents every day. Like, why is everybody so freaked out about like automatic driving when it's just mm -hmm. like, one person or two people have died, and then yeah. like, no one seems to mind, just willy nilly, all the texters out there. Yeah. Um, Oh, you didn't answer the question about AI. Oh, I didn't. You're right. Um, so we have safety is paramount. I'll get back to safety. Okay. Safety is super, super paramount in the aluminum industry, especially the area where we work because mm -hmm. it's molten. Other processors right. may be just like changing the shape or the form of aluminum. Yeah. You're going to drill a hole. It's a fabricator or bend it. Right. Uh, but we're um. working in molten aluminum. So safety is really, really important for us. Totally. Where AI comes into the picture, I, I won't call it AI. That's giving it's our industry a little learning. bit too much credit. Yeah. Okay. It's not machine learning yet. It's just really? industry 4.0. So what we're saying industry 4.0 means web-connected apps, um, everything making um, a very streamlined sort of dashboard or interface okay. for our machine operators right? so that they're not physically standing next to the molten aluminum while it's being worked on. They can instead stand further away with a tablet or something. Yeah, they can be in a control room. They can be in a... They have cameras everywhere. They That's have awesome. sensors and devices. They're not there, you know, necessarily like pouring things out of large vessels. Totally. Um, so that's where our industry is really going. It's yes for product quality and mm -hmm. for process, you know, stability, but where automation and uh, controls and, and schemes like that are really coming into play for us are safety. So we're really trying to eliminate operator exposure to mm -hmm. those hazards. That's fascinating. Yeah. That's really cool. Um, is there anything else specific that you wanted to talk about or that you were excited to talk about? Because I feel like I've asked most of the questions that I feel like I had, but it's also an area that 
um, maybe I'm not asking the right questions. Yeah, well, I think <laughs> I think the the most important thing is is to try to make the aluminum the industry, the industry is huge, mm-hmm. like absolutely enormous. Which is amazing because honestly, until knowing you and like you know your family business, I had never even considered it. Yeah, like it's, it's a commodity. It's like an invisible this. sort of industry, which is why I find it so fascinating because it's invisible yet we interact with aluminum products every day, every single day. Every it literally this like right podcast recording thing is all made of aluminum. There's an <laughs> aluminum computer there, aluminum microphone there. Right. It's it's everywhere. Um, but I think the the thing that I had a hard time getting over when I first started working here, which admittedly I was like you know working high school summers, mm-hmm. like helping out the designers and the programmers and things like that. Um, and then I joined full time. But the thing that I had a little bit of upset stomach getting over was that I felt like it wasn't a shiny industry. Mm. Um, and so that's what I <laughs> hope. Can, but it's a very shiny industry. It's aluminum. Bada bing. Yeah. <laughs> I see what you did. <laughs> the thing that was really interesting to get over was that it is. It, there's a lot to know about. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot to understand that I think our generation would actually appreciate quite a bit. Totally. Because it's not necessarily, yeah, it's not, you know, a food app on my phone or whatever cool new thing is coming out. Right. But it is impacting every single person in a huge, huge, huge way. Totally. Yeah. And, you know, I think that is something, especially growing up in Southern California, a lot of us uh, I think felt like we had to get into what were, was considered like shiny or cool or whatever. But when I look at, you know, now having been in the workforce for some time and having worked across a variety of different verticals, um, when I look at a lot of those shiny jobs, a lot of times it's, you know, um, a lot of smoke and mirrors. Um, it's not always a viable like business model Um, sometimes it's just good branding on something that doesn't actually make sense and that there's not a need for. And, and honestly, they don't pay as well because they're, they they feel like (laughs) I've worked at, I've worked on projects before where like clients, you know, are used to people just being excited uh, like that, you know, whoever they're employing should just be excited to be working with like whatever name brand. Yeah. yeah. And so they know that they don't have to pay people as well. Yeah. Shiny doesn't pay. <laughs> no, because people are just, people are just happy to be there. And so they'll, and I think you find that especially in places like LA where there's supply and demand. And there's also, it's such an urban sprawl where like people can go, Oh, I can just, you know, live in the Valley or whatever for cheap and then drive an hour. So I don't mind not getting paid that much. Right. And so not that it's all about money, but I think if, if you can kind of get rid of that frantic energy around like, is what I'm doing cool and go like, is what I'm doing interesting? Is there room for me to learn and grow and be challenged on a regular basis and also not have to drive Uber at night to pay my bills? Yeah. Like, which is fine if people want to do that. But I think it's, there's a lot of stress, I think, around having a job at a cool place yep. um, that is completely illogical stress, just as it was to like, worry about wearing the right thing in high school and like it doesn't actually matter yeah um i don't know about that analogy but that it's it's this the feeling is the same the yeah. feeling because i still care yeah. what i wear but <laughs> yeah I, I still care about what i wear but i think there's there is a difference in like that's st- i remember just as a girl there's that stress going into like prom or whatever yeah, for sure that like oh my god what if my dress isn't the right one or what if like other girls have it and but really, and another guest um, on the podcast, Jessica, who's a stand-up comedian, and she's great. She has she shared a saying with me over and over again. We've been friends for a while, where it's just like eyes on your own paper. Mm-hmm. Like if what you're doing makes you happy, and it's really true because I think even 
even growing up, I would read interviews with people, and I always had a lot of respect for people who just kind of followed their own path and did their own thing. Um, it also makes you a more interesting person. Mm-hmm. And, like, you don't see interviews with people who just always do whatever the normal thing is to do because they're just normal. So, like, no one wants to interview you. <laughs> <laughs> um, so... I gave, you're the only guest that I let know ahead of time about the ending question of like, what area do you want, would you be interested or like what finished product would you want to hear the behind the scenes of? So oh, I feel yeah. like you've had maybe some time to think about it. Yeah. Thanks for setting the bar really high on what I want to say now. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. I, I just mean like, I'm it. not catching you off guard. Like I don't have to explain it. Like I feel like with everybody else I had to be like, here's examples. Here's what I mean. Yeah, that's but, fair. Um, so what... What did you come up with? If there's more than one, that's fine. Yeah, what I want to know behind the scenes of. Mm-hmm. Um, so I work in a very engineering-intensive company, uh-huh. but I've never I did study engineering. Right. So that can scare people sometimes. Like I can't get into that business. Like I don't know anything about that. Right. But I don't have a I have a business background really, and like yeah. a political sciences background. So I always like to think that I can understand something that I know nothing about. Right. Um, just explained well. So I would love to see the behind the scenes on aviation, uh-huh. particularly because we kind of serve that industry. Right. But I want to understand how the heck people in a flight tower land a bunch of planes in sequence. Because okay. that sounds like it's really, really hard to do. And everyone, you know, there's like news articles coming out about how these people are stressed and all this stuff. Right. And I'm pretty sure machine learning would help them. Oh, certainly. Um, I hope they're not, like, just putting Post-its and, like, rearranging them. But I don't know how it works, so (laughs) show me the behind the scenes. That (laughs) is a really good one. I, Yeah, that's awesome. It's complicated. It is wildly complicated. Yeah. I hope that uh, somebody listening is a... Uh, air traffic. Is it air traffic traffic control? control. Yeah, that's probably what it's called. I think I may know a person who can help. Good. This is awesome. Awesome. Thank you so much, Kadar. This was really fun. Good. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of BTS Podcast. Music on this podcast is by Benjamin Matherum. Uh, And, you know, there's this thing I've been thinking about doing for a while of shouting out something that inspired me or kind of, I guess, grew my mind or whatever you may call it uh, at the end of the podcast. And so something that inspired me this past week uh, was the discovery of the podcast called Clever. Clever is a really cool podcast. My friend Peter recommended it. Peter may or may not be on this podcast in a few episodes. He's a really fascinating guy. He's great. Um, Clever is, if I'm not mistaken, it is with design experts and they have a variety of guests on. I jumped straight to the Debbie Millman episode. That's because I'm a huge Debbie Millman fan. Um, in fact, if you're at a point in your life where you are, I don't know, kind of hitting a quarter life crisis, midlife crisis, you're feeling like you're at a loss of just kind of like steam, literally just look up Debbie Millman podcast episodes. Her own podcast is great. It's called Design Matters. It's really awesome. I've found that her podcast or the episode, I guess, that she's on on Tim Ferriss's podcast is really, really great. In fact, it is what helped give gave me like the extra understanding and sort of some uh, framework around how to find a therapist and what kind of therapist was best for me. Uh, I landed on a psychotherapist, which has been incredibly helpful. And we talk a lot about neuroplasticity and I think it's called like synthetic structuring or synthetic restructuring where basically we identify the patterns in my life that I want to break. Um, He had me write out a list of who I am versus who I want to be and set my intentions on who I want to be. And it's all been really, really helpful. 
and if it weren't for Debbie Millman, I think it might've taken me quite a bit longer to get there. So check out Clever, listen to the Debbie Millman episode. Um, the ones that Peter recommended, I think I have them open over here somewhere. Let's see. Okay, so I wrote down the ones he recommended um, and I may mispronounce these names, but he recommended the one with Robert Renner, who is, uh, he did something at Beats by Dre. This, these are my notes that I'm reading. Uh, he also recommended Aaron Dreplin's episode and Joe Gabia, I think I'm pronouncing that right, um, who is the founder of Airbnb. So Peter really appreciated those episodes. Peter's a super smart dude and um, maybe I'm being, being vain because uh, by super smart, I mean he said a bunch of stuff that I like and so that could be, you know, my own bias serving myself. But um, I like the way he thinks and if you enjoy this podcast, chances are you like the way that I think, which means you might like the way that Peter thinks. So check that podcast out, it's really great. It is hosted by two wonderful women who ask good questions and have on really incredible guests. Thanks again for listening.